You're listening to the Farming Fix podcast, the podcast where I, Martin Cavanagh, speak to innovative farming people about what's new in the ever-changing industry. This week I speak to Liam Delaney and Barrett Killeen, who are both new dairy entrants. So I might just start with you, Dara. Like you might give us a little bit of an idea of how you originated as being a new entrant to dairy. What drove you in that direction? Yeah, I suppose I had been at home farming for a few years. Came home to farm my father and um, we were dry stock farming. So sheep and beef, we had about 500 joes and maybe 120 or 30 beef cattle. And we'd be buying them as stores and finishing them. And because we felt we were working fairly hard and mm. there wasn't two incomes just available to us. And it was just previous to that, I would have been in college and I didn't finish that. And I came home and I was probably looking for a bit of direction. And I went to New Zealand for a couple of months and I went milking cows there and contracting and that sort of thing. And it was a real eye opener, really in just how they treated the farm as such a business. And it was a big divide really between working time and time off. And I just liked what I saw there. And I probably came home with a few ideas. Mm-hmm. Only I didn't I didn't know how to implement them. How did dad take to that? You arrived back from New Zealand and you, you had some views on the way farming should look or how it should look for you. How did yeah. dad feel about that? Fairly good, to be honest. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he rang me when I was in New Zealand and he said, you, you may come home, I'm after enrolling you into Gertrude Night College. So <laughs> okay. uh, he, he was happy to see me back now. And to be honest, we pulled fairly well together. I mean, no more than any father-son farming relationship. Oh, is sure. Things you disagree over, but you're, that's the same in any business, like where you have a hierarchy that's going to be disagreements. But, yeah. uh, you know, we, we probably built up our stock numbers from there, from 2012 to 2017. We probably doubled our sheep numbers and we would have, I would have probably not drawn a lot of money out of the farm working part-time here and there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and building up livestock numbers. And kind of when things came to a head then around maybe 2017, we, we seriously started looking at dairy farming and with a lot of stock owned with no stocking loans on them and just put us in a good old position when we were making plans going to the bank and that, that we had a lot of you could call it cash in the bank really available to you and okay. um, so 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 you're you're in a position i suppose you're coming up with a really clear plan you were going to the bank with a very clear plan that, that seems to me a real important element of flipping out a business would you agree with that dara what do you think oh yeah i engaged with anyone i could to be honest i knew i had ambition and i had technical ability but i was green enough in terms of going to dealing with banks and the bigger picture stuff i had never the most money i, I had ever owed anyone was a student overdraft for 750 euro and <laughs> now i was heading off to the bank looking for six figures or whatever it was sure so yeah. i engaged with my own chagas advisory and they moved me up the line to whoever i could talk to and uh, i would have joined a local discussion group at that point and i was very fortunate as well i, I signed up early in the time with the revo my co-op and i was taken on probably the first it was definitely the first with them anyway they took on a, someone that was only developing a farm as a focus farmer mm-hmm. so i mean we got we probably had two or three discussion groups here before we ever had a digger move into the yard plan out where to, to do everything and you know with hindsight now which is brilliant because we wasted very little money making wrong decisions and probably something that i try to build into how we farm is not wasting money on stupid decisions because you know that's just something you'd like to avoid really where you can and we were lucky with the advice we got really okay so that that kind of network of support and and talking to you liam had you the same type of experience with that network of support i know you've gone down a slightly different direction you've got a robotic system in place i think dara your parlor base twice a day milking or once a day dara you're twice a day milking twice a day yeah uh for most of the year tail end of the year we'll we'll tailor it down a bit 
So, so what about yourself, Liam? How was that origin story for you? Because you were quite a prominent beef farmer. You know, you you were out there. You, you talked a lot about beef farming. How has that changed for you? Yeah, well, I'm still a beef farmer. <laughs> there you go. You can't deny it. We can't make you not a beef farmer. I was down in Ennis last week. We bought bulls last week. So we're covered a beef scheme this year with less numbers in the first six months. So more numbers in the last six months. But anyway, that's a different story. You know, I'm still a beef farmer and tillage farmer as well. Okay. We're small enterprises and both on the three sort of enterprises to be quite small. Like our farmers about 160 acres and about 10 acres rented and stuff. So we've about 55 acres of cereals mm-hmm. and the rest then. See, the home block, all we have is 40 acres, but we're 50 acres down the road, which I'm doing a bit of zero grazing. So look, I'm going off the point. I'll go back to the start. Like I'm farming since I left high college in 1985 and um, all I want to do was farm all my life. Went to high college and dad was involved with three other brothers here back in the 80s that bought farms. My grandfather did. And, well, grandfather bought them and my dad and his brothers would have hit for them in dear times in the 70s and 80s. But uh, in 88, it broke out in the row when I was 11 and we started off suckling then in 88. And dad was very progressive and he formed the first suckler discussion group in the country back years ago. And we sort of would have been involved with Aid Murray and different people, Pierce Kelly and stuff and Chaggish over the years and doing profit monitors and we're all obviously sort of into figures in the beef end of it and trying to be as efficient as we can and doing all our own work and but we're going on grand like and we're keeping maintenance up and I was doing a bit of part-time work as well up and down when dad was younger and stuff and I, there was no big draw on me at that time I wasn't married and stuff and then when I got married in 06 and I had four kids so then fast forward to 2016 and 17 dad was getting older and I had kids coming on and the beef was getting less and less money out of it and single farm payment was getting less and less as well through convergence stuff and the way it's gone since we've joined like it's the whole system is sort of wrong it's gone against production and it's gone against newly youth or people trying to progress and trying to go on it's sort of anti-young farmers I would have gone involved in IFA and going to meetings and I would have been giving out meetings and the way things was going and these armchair farmers getting subsidy and would have been better given to an active fella no matter where he was in the country that was my opinion but I remember one meeting we in Port Leach and IFA meeting with Paul Nolan down from Don Meats <laughs> and I don't know if you know Paul but he's, he's, a, Paul, he's yeah. a big strong speaker and uh, look at he's, he's a nice enough fella he's good at his job but he comes down every every year to a beef meeting in Leach just this particular year it was about 18 I think it was and there was a fierce lot of anger and frustration and sadness and everything in the room and, and I remember coming out and he got an awful sort of a bollock in that night and usually he'd be cracking jokes and all the rest but that particular meeting was a very serious meeting but he, he said one statement that sort of stuck in my mind he said look at lads if you're in your business and things is not working out and it's not going the way you want it or you're not making enough money you'd have to sit down and think about it yourselves and think about something different or whatever so I just come home thinking I'm either going to end up being a contrary every county has a lad going to IFA meetings in your 50s 60s giving out and whinging and complaining the whole time either they'll do something now I'm 40 years of age and go and do something now or else forget about it and stay mm-hmm. whinging and giving out so anyway, that, that was sort of the start of it. Then we're up and we go to Farm Rocks to hold them. We're up in Atenray at the Chagish Farm up there doing all their sucklers and stuff. And they're doing top quality grass and top quality breeding and everything. At the end of the day, they weren't fit to pay labour. They weren't fit to pay rent or anything else out of what they're making out of beef. So like they were doing it the best and we'd be trying to one of the best as well. So all these figures wasn't adding up. So mm. that was sort of mm. the main reason of financially. Even though my parents were against me going into dairy starting off and they're grand now. But it was a big decision and uh, our farm wasn't never suiting for 
dairy because I say we're only 40 acres around the house. But made, mm. made the move and look at them. I'm, I'm not sorry. It was, it was sort of a, a long winded answer, maybe. I, I don't know. I, it's not, but it, what's interesting, really, I think, Liam, about that, everyone has to go on a type of a journey. It's like, Dara, mm. you know, you had to head to New Zealand and see something, maybe challenge yourself a little bit on that and challenge the status quo coming home. And, and again, if you're in a position, Liam, you're very, very involved, your family steeped in beef and steeped in that work and that, you know, in that tradition you have to go through a process before you go through a change and to make it comfortable so you don't go through the grief of it almost, you know? Yeah. You know, it can be difficult. So Dara, you you made a very clear decision. You saw certain things in, in New Zealand. What were the two or three kind of key things that were in your mind about getting this right? I didn't want to be overcommitted financially. And that's a big thing for a new entrant. And without ever looking at figures just talking about going dairy and the first words that come out of your mouth is it cost you too much money so I was young enough now I was 27 I suppose when we mm. were talking about it and you just be that bit anxious about overcommitting yourself financially so I had to have a business plan that I could stand over and not be fretting about in, in a bad year so that was probably the biggest one for me and outside of that I suppose I didn't want to become a dairy farmer so I could work whatever it is 50 or 60 or 70 hours a week and I certainly didn't want to commit to doing 14 milkings a week for 10 or 11 months of the year forevermore mm. I wanted to do it so it would give us a better lifestyle financially better lifestyle really and have someone working with us on the farm and I suppose we've achieved both of them goals now at the minute and we're very mm-hmm. happy with where we are. Okay, so so it was clear that you had to you didn't have that overcommitment financially. And and within that, if we look at it and we look at investment into a farm, is it buildings, is it parlor, is it grass, is it stock? If we've got limited money, where do we start with? Uh I never compromised the stock I bought. And someone told me at the start, I said, like, on a beef animal, if you might give 50 or 100 euro more than you should have, you'll never see it back out of it. It's very, very different on a dairy animal, like giving 50 euro or 100 euro extra to get the right cow. She'll have you paid back in her first month uh, if she's better than the average. So we didn't compromise on that. We spent a lot of time looking and we bought very, very good stock to start. What was very good stock to you? What were you looking for to set up? Well, I wanted a crossbred herd. I knew that much. I suppose I had visited enough farmers around me and I was looking at, I suppose, who had a name for being good at what they were doing. And just a few boys who had farms that I wanted to have had crossbred herds. And a dry farm here at home, a farm that you could calve a cow in February and let her out. And... Provided you have enough grass in the end of November, she'll still be out. So I wanted a, a light enough animal that would go out and graze for probably 10 months of the year. And we wanted a fairly fertile herd too, I suppose. When you're starting off with a young herd and a lot of expense, you can't afford to have infertility. So that was another driving factor. And I suppose with the co-op I'm with, the Revo, they're paying fairly well on the solids. Mm. so uh, you're just getting that bit more money on your milk check if you have a high solids herd so they tick the boxes on that front for us okay, so high solids you and crossbred high EBI I assume I think you're in the top 5% if I remember rightly yeah uh, you're yeah. in the 160 over 160 is that correct on EBI yeah herd EBI would be 172 yeah okay um, very good very good and how about yourself Liam you were going out there beef farmer selecting cows in terms of driver like well, um, I differ a small bit from Dara on this one. I'm just looking at me ACBA for court here I got last week. My heard EBI is 168, but yep. I didn't go down the crossbred road at all. I done too much giving out with meetings, beef meetings, giving out with the jerseys and everything else. <laughs> <laughs> you would have been lynched, Liam. You would have been lynched. 
amazing. It was bad enough getting black and white, but anyway. But uh, no, I liaison with uh, our progressive genetics man, um, mm. Sean Hayes. Mm-hmm. He sourced heifers, sort of uh, mainly British Friesian Holstein herds, uh, high EBI herd, given. Obviously, following the solids, which is, as Aris says, very important. You get paid in that same at Columbia, but want to get high production as well. Like our heifers, they average about 5,000 litres in the first year, and they're done, I think, 430 kilos of solids. And this year so far, up to the end of August, we've 390 kilos of solids gone in. And uh, they're going to go 6,500, nearly 7,000 litres, hopefully, in the year. I say they will. There's 346,000 litres from gone in at the end of August. So mm. that's the road I went, sort of high EBI as well, uh, 168 is a EBI, but uh, with a small amount of land and small amount of cows, I was sort of pushing for good solids and good production as well. So you were looking at the smaller land base, you were putting a, a robot in the middle of that, and you were looking for those cows to maximise that piece of land that you're operating yeah. on. Is, is that fair to say? Absolutely, yeah. Get, get as much milk as I can and get the best price for it I can as well. So it okay. is possible to get both. Um, but like, different, like the crossbred probably have a better, if you had a big lot of land and a lot of walking and stuff, probably be a better. But when there's very little walking in, in our 40 acres mm. for cows, this mightn't be. The robot as well, you can feed them, you can feed the yield. So you can, cows that's a bit suffering or given too much, you can feed them more and stuff. There's a whole lot of things you can tweak and they're walking on their own. So you, you have less lameness and stuff and with robotic herds, I'd imagine, because they're, they're coming at their ease and they're one at a time and they're coming at their own free will. It's, it's sort of a different setup. Yeah, I mean, I think the key thing for both of you, first of all, both of you are choosing high genetic merit animals based on an EBI system, which is a profit yes. driver genetic system, which is perfect. But also you're looking at animal fit for purpose for what you want them to do. You used mm. a nice term, Daryl, when I was chatting to you before, aggressive grazing. Mm. You like the idea mm. of the cow having the ability, to, you know, the aggressive grazing cow. Yeah, well, I'll never forget the day I went to view stock and one of the livestock sourcing agencies brought me off and picked me up and brought me a breakfast roll and they were mad keen to sell, sell, sell and they brought me to three or four different farms and they brought me to one farm and I was like, just doesn't click now and brought me to another farm. Nice stock, but didn't click and they brought me to the third farm and it just clicked started talking to the farmer and it was a wet enough day and he had a big herd of cows and the weather was chronic and they were just there grazing away down to a perfect residual and I said that's the sort of animal I want and uh, mm-hmm. just I suppose here in spring like we, when we have the dry land you want a cow that will go out and do her business and come back in and she'll be getting her on off grazing and all that so we, we have a herd of cows that are doing that for us at the minute anyway yeah we'd be fairly happy with them yeah and it, it's been fit for purpose yeah and I think what I really like when I'm talking to people with slightly different systems you have a lot of seminars but it's that idea fit for purpose for what you've built your system around so that you're using the correct animal get the you know the correct piece out of it Liam, just talk about systems there, like you put in a robotic milking system, and we're not having a big discussion about robotics as such, but I'm interested in why you drove in that particular direction. Well, I said to you, my wife teaches an hour's drive away up in Kilcock, and mm. uh, so she, my four kids, the youngest is already started school this year, and the eldest is in secondary school, second year. So, like every morning, the first thing I used to do was get the kids up and get them fed and dressed mm. and out to school, drop them off. So, as Dara said earlier about lifestyle and stuff, I, I didn't fancy getting up at half five every morning to go meet mm. cows and back then for half seven to go get kids up and all the rest. Do you know what I mean? I saw, and I do a bit of role in Barley contract work as well for local farmers and stuff. So, mm. 
this time of the year and busy and you need a bit of tillage as well when you're out doing your own silage whenever the robot sort of sewed. Like it's not just plugging the robot and walking away from it, you're tied to it as well. You're morning and evening changing socks and washing and everything else. But it's very flexible. Like you can do it at six o'clock in the morning or eight o'clock in the morning or half nine in the morning and most mornings when I'm flipping the kids mm. and stuff. And same at night time at ten o'clock at night or six o'clock in the evening or whatever. So it's, it's very flexible. That's the big thing. Now there is plenty of other work to keep nine cows and stuff. You might bring in that cow every now and again. Mum and dad are very good. Like they wouldn't be able to milk a herd of cows in the park but like they're able to go down and bring up a cow or two if she was going along yeah. same with my kids they can do that as well so it sort of works well and how do you fit in when you move from I mean okay you're still operating beef you've operated a standard of grass management how did you find the step to say managing an ABC I'm assuming I'm making this grand assumption you're on an ABC system with your robot you're looking at managing that, those grass paddocks to keep the cow movement how did you find that transition into that type of work it wasn't a big deal because we never really had, you know, in our life, in, we were always putting out heavy, heavy fertilizer the whole time, even in Suckland, and we were growing as much grass as we could okay. uh, every rotation. And we, we used to have autumn calving and in the Suckland, we used to have suckers and spring calving. So we used to be nearly drying off cows in the summer as gardens of grass to get tight. That's how sort of tight we were. We never really wrapped as such in them years. We sort of dried off cows and we sort of kept handling the grass fairly well. But the ABC system, it's grand. It doesn't get our hand too often, maybe a few bales in the spring and then a few bales maybe in July or it's just a small take out a few bales nittling off and that's sort of the trick you can't take out too many at one time you sort of take out grazing at a time if it gets strong but like it's very simple to manage because you just look at where you're starting in A and starting in B so if that grass is getting back up to proper cover for grazing you just wrap up the rest of A and start in A again or B or whatever it is so it's, it's simple enough to be honest you know what I mean it's nearly easier to work with ABC but when, when you have 70 cows on the 40 acres it's uh, 38 acres it's easy enough to manage it. but now this year they're eating a lot more grass so I'm drawing grass now every a load every mm-hmm. evening there for the last two months so and they're mature they're obviously they're giving 50% more milk this year so they're eating 50% more grass too <laughs> okay absolutely and as that maturity and, that, and the fill comes yeah. like have you seen Dara like your herd now is like both the if I understand correctly you started with a mob of heifers you got yourselves going what changes are you seeing now Dara you're in a couple of years your herd is starting to change out anything concerning you as your herd is aging or is the system nailed on well enough do you think no I suppose we were matching uh well first year we started with 95 heifers and i didn't want to go anymore i, I had no full-time help and it was more than enough for myself and my father to face into that spring then the second year i got an opportunity to lease 30 heifers off a guy i know so they came in and they helped sell a lot of milk there in the second year and they were brilliant and mm. they returned to him then He's, mm. he's milking them himself now and we've bought a lot of uh, weanlands ourselves so we went to 160 there this year all our own breeding mm. and mm. Uh, I suppose I was basing that on how much grass we grew last year and how much grass that a few extra paddocks were seeded mm. and I thought we had the capacity to carry the 160 and we've grown a lot of grass this year but I just think we get quite dry here in the summer so there was mm. two periods this summer where I had to go in with additional feed like so yeah the, the, how much grass the cows are eating this year has definitely surprised me um no more than Liam says they're, they're producing a lot more milk and the intakes have definitely gone up as well so that was a bit of a fright but uh, I suppose in the spring it was an absolute dream having a high percentage of the herd being cows uh, slightly different with the, the robot I'm not too familiar with training and heifers on the robot but a few weeks passes and next thing it's behind you um, but yeah. this year we couldn't believe it this spring cows walk in you put the clusters on them and you know you weren't going up and down the parlour putting back on clusters and that sort of thing that was one of the bigger changes and uh, the milk check there's a big noticeable difference in that now you know it's very satisfying every month when you feel you're getting paid for the work you're doing that's mm-hmm. that was one of the goals really going into the area and is wanting to feel that you were getting paid was for the work you were doing okay you're getting that sort of steady reward 
Liam, you're, you're smiling to yourself there about heifers and robots and training. What was your experience there kicking off with your bunch of heifers? I said, look, it, it was solid hardship for the first couple of weeks. There's not going insane. It wasn't. And mm. especially my dad had an accident here just two days before the first heifer calved. So it, it was tough going for the first four or five weeks. He started calving on say, early February. And until really, when they got the grass, the whole lot systems would settle down and sort of got used to it. And then at least when they got the grass and was milked, it was gone out through the grazing gates. So it was easier to manage. You had less numbers in the shed and stuff. So look, at, yeah, the first few weeks. But as Aaron says, this year, like it's a dream this year. Like you calve the cow and we shave her and, and singe her and clip her elder and all that crack and uh, straight into the shed. And then she goes to the robot and milks and out and... You forget about it. Like it's grand. It's a great job compared to last year. Now it's mm. a whole different ball game. We're only four efforts this year, and mm. this coming spring now, we think we'll have maybe seven or eight. But there's nothing like most year with seventy. So it's a different. I know sort. it's a total, a total different yeah, ball game. Yeah. yeah, and look, and, and in fairness, I suppose uh, I look at it from a vet's point of view as well. Both of you are dealing with very young herds, young, healthy, fit cattle, and for me. I look at it, you're in the middle of the honeymoon period, you know, with these. So what sort of challenges do you think are coming down the line for you, Dara? Like, I mean, when you're thinking about the farm overall, you mentioned a little bit about labor and working the farm and so on. What sort of challenges are in your mind with this herd? Uh, yeah, it is. I like what you say about a honeymoon period because you'd find you very little lameness with a young herd. Your cell count is easy enough, mm. keep under control. So I guess probably don't know the challenges too much until they come to us because I haven't mm. experienced them before with an older herd. Labour probably is going to be an issue. I have had good help this year up to now. Two lads have gone back to college there. One guy started college and that's so it's myself from here until the spring. And uh, I'd be hoping to get someone full-time in the spring. But labour probably is the biggest thing. And I guess whatever environmental restrictions are coming down the line. And mm. was it's worth mentioning costs too. Uh, it's a very good year milk price, but costs are going insane. Like fertiliser yeah. and meal is through the roof. Like so... I guess from attending Moor Park there lately and in terms of all these environmental things, I don't know where the future is for a highly stocked milking platform. Mm. Um, we just don't know what's coming down the line with that. So I suppose we'd be stocked reasonably heavy on the milking platform, but then on a whole farm basis, we'd be very, very lowly stocked. I think it's 1.88, then on the milking platform, 3.3 or 4. I thought that was interesting in Moorpark, actually. That whole point about whole farm versus grazing platform stocking rates and the, and the different pressure it puts on it. Like, it'll be interesting to see as you move forward with that herd. And as you say, intakes. And we're probably realizing now that cows' intakes to fulfill their genetic potential are higher than we think. When you give it to them and they take it and they produce back for you, it's often surprising what these cows can do. So it may be interesting in the future how that stocking rate really is managed when you learn the farm and learn the grass goat there, you know. Mm, definitely, yeah. Because their, their outputs are... More than Liam, like the, the outputs, when you look at what they're actually doing compared to their genetic potential, we've exceeded their genetic potential each year. Like, so mm. there's a catch in that somewhere along the line, be it feed or body condition or whatever. Well, there is. I mean, as you say, when you read your EBI report or your definition of it, it sets a genetic bar. But if you put the management behind it, you lift that genetic bar pretty significantly. Just the last point about the labor, you, you made a point to me before about, I suppose, good and bad employees or good and bad employers. What's your experience around it? How do you feel about trying to get someone onto your farm who's going to stay put and work with you? What do you think are the things you need? Yeah, we would have talked about this with our own discussion group only last week. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's not just down to money and it's not just down to conditions. It's kind of a, 
around package on everything. And so when I was younger, I worked on farms here and there. I, I made cows in New Zealand on a 12 days on, two days off roster. And geez, I grew to hate it. Like there's no mm. way to live a life. Pay wasn't great either. And made cows in Ireland and long hours, close to seven to seven and not paid very well either. And work by stock farm, nice place to work, but probably not getting paid enough either. So I guess generally had younger people working here on farm students and that. Mm. And uh, well, number one, we have good facilities because Everton is only three years old. We have a bit of a canteen here. We have a radio in the milking parlour. We have cluster removers, a drafting gate, a lot of stuff that makes the milking process easy. We'd always have fairly fixed hours now. Definite finish time. Milking is about half three, four in the evening and it's very mm. rare there's anyone here after milking certain amount of trust given to everyone that comes in as well they keep their own hours i get their hours often once a month and mm. i get paid once a month and they get paid mm. shortly after it's all electronic transfer into their bank account they're all registered their taxes being paid on top of what they're earning and i suppose as students then they're getting most of that back too so i guess it's just trying to bring a little bit of professionalism to it and they appreciate that mm. and trust as well i find with the younger people i've had working here that if you put that bit of trust in them uh, they really catch on to it and appreciate it okay okay and and Liam you're, you're kind of gone in towards you're, you're actually using a robot in a way as a labor saving device is that fair for me to say that or how do you feel about how the labor piece fits it would but my wife wouldn't agree with you or my man maybe <laughs> wouldn't agree with Jade. <laughs> okay we, we need to get her on the call and see I'm still doing log hours and in, in, in there thinking, but um, no, well, I'm in the position like my dad is 73 and he's after being sick this year as well. Like the last year and a half, he's after being quite sick now. He's TB this year, but he's back on again. He's a great okay. heart and he's great. He's out and about and he's back working late, feeling no lately and stuff. So he's he's great, but he's 73 and like he's not doing hint as what he used to be doing. And I probably, I'm probably busier, but I'm coming to the stage now. I could do it nearly a full-time neighbor as well because of a lot of stuff going on with the rolling barley's taking up a lot of time. I roll about 4,000 ton a year. So that takes a lot of time and with the teenage as well and family and football and everything else. But the shed and everything's all built for a second robot. Okay. And then you're drawing grass, which is busy. So my thinking was if I ever got a second robot in, then I would have to get a second neighbor unit and play that to, drawing grass and give us a hand and take pressure off my parents and stuff and I've kids and I've had 14 in November and I had 12 and neither of them show major interest in farming to be totally honest I've two girls younger and now the youngest girl is only four and she's actually show more interest than any of them in farming so look we don't we'll wait and see but I'm not going to panic when you get the second robot especially with this uh, milk supply agreement with Lombie and everything else and I'm very happy what I'm getting out of my 70 cows so I'm not going to go mad I'm just going to just hold me on for a couple of years and see what happens and see, see where it goes but if I did, did get a second one I'd have to go on the labour route but it's very hard to get someone and get someone you can trust and I was very lucky if he has fellas that, that can get and keep them and train them. No, I had a fellow with the community last Saturday and I had a neighbour just drawing story for the day and it's grand. Like he comes in, he's in school, actually he's a great job. Mm. But like to get someone full time, it's very hard around here anyway. Yeah, it's a real mm. fear. I think it's genuinely keeping people a little bit awake at night because that, and look, I see it worldwide. There's issues with labour worldwide on farms and people doing work. I'm interested even, Dara, what you're saying is having the right setup. Like, you know, good equipment, everything working, making the milking easy. And even with the robotic setup that you have all those additional technologies that just make things a little bit easier for individuals to work. Yeah. What do you think, Dara? Is there anything else you'd add onto the farm? You know, something Santa Claus needs to bring you at Christmas? 
Not too much. I suppose we spent all the money on day one, pretty much. And that was, I suppose, I didn't want to be cash flowing stuff as we went along because it's hard on your mm. your drawings and that if you're cash flowing things. So we probably went to the bank and looked for the full figure we needed and did everything at the start. And um, we're very, very lucky with the contractors we have around here. We contract out everything. And we're using three different contractors for different services. And uh, they really make life easy. I know you're paying for it, but it's a catch-22. I mean, time, time off costs you money in some way or another we're happy enough to pay the contractors to do all them work and uh we'll be taking the time off elsewhere we, mm. we never had much machinery on farm and i wouldn't be too big into it either so we we never went down the route of buying anthem we don't have much here now a tractor and a grab and a quad and that's about it yeah yeah looking at horses for courses i remember my, my own dad we, we met a good few cows back in the 70s and 80s uh pre-quota and as quota came in and um he always had just a small tractor a contractor were a very different beast then but we never did any machinery or work. What really annoyed him was, invariably, you had to go somewhere for a bearing. That was his nightmare, right? Uh, yeah, is that in yeah. the middle of doing something, you had to go and fix something. And he said, I'm not a mechanic. This is not what I want to do. So well, we definitely, we'd be more dock people here than, mm-hmm. than machinery heads. And uh, like even there was the last two years, I've got the contractor to draw in the bales for us. I remember one evening there, I milked him a Saturday evening. We were down having a barbecue sunny evening and the contractor was out the back drawing in the bales. I said to myself, that's worth any money to have someone come in and do that for me. <laughs> right, okay. okay, I don't know I don't know how you feel about that, Liam. I'd be the total opposite of someone joining me bales and me having a barbecue. I, I don't know. I, I, no, I, would, I, would, I wouldn't be a nice person to be around. It. I know, I know you'd be hopping from foot to foot, but again... <laughs> Maybe, I'm not saying, like, I'm probably wrong in a way because I want to do it all myself. I wouldn't have patience and my dad would probably be the same. We'd like to be, we're waiting on seed now, so we tomorrow and we won't get to Thursday and I have an IFA meeting all the Wednesday and I want to be seed tomorrow because I'm going to plough a lot tonight. To be honest, I'm going to say ploughing for late tonight if I can. I was hoping to get a lot of it ploughed tonight. But that's sort of a way of madness and maybe it's it's it's, it's his a way of madness really but uh, I, I love it I love, love the machinery end of it as well I always did and I love the stock of it all part of the farmer to be honest the stock and the machinery and my dad would have been the same and uh, I said we no contractor comes into this place not the vet's only man comes into this yard that we pay everything else we do everything ourselves but uh, as regards making life be easier <laughs> the first a thing I did buy uh, was a, a hoof crate or a foot pair and it also drives the cows off in because with no pit we haven't a robot and, and that was a great piece of equipment because we can pair feet and we can dry off cows and us it turns them over one side it's a great machine but same as dara we, we spent a lot of money starting off and same i i went to a lot of robotic farms and uh seen them and well, like i'd be listening to everyone uh, everyone you might no matter what farm you go to you might pick up a small thing but that small thing might be beneficial down the line so Went to a lot of farms, put in robots first. They put in the robot maybe in the corner of a shed. And then after three or four years, they went and built a brand new shed and put in maybe two robots in this brand new shed. So it cost the money on the double. So I said, fix this for a I'm going to build a shed that we can, that's able to be expanded or built in room for expansion. There's only matter of building on or whatever. So that's what we done. And I said, the shed is only big enough for two robots if we wanted to. And we've planned and got for two more span onto the end of it for more cubicles if we wanted to. Mistake I made was I didn't buy enough steel at the time. <laughs> It's fairly expensive now. Yeah, but anyway, see, but it's interesting. Actually, you know what? And even dealing with robots and, and having a bit of experience, even with the lads when we started up with robots, I started selling robots in Ireland. The more purpose built you can make that system, yeah. the better the investment is for you. And I and I would argue that about milking parlors. And I've worked with quite a lot of different types of milking parlors and systems. 
the opportunity to do it right first time with the, with the a green field to get right. the best yeah. out of the system. I think it's yeah, cow flow is so cow flow is so important, and and mm. the way the system works and yeah, no, it, it it is so it is very important and drafting gates and and the drafting system is there is great too for we we work all AI here too, so with no bull, so we're AI and like it's great coming on in the morning cows milk and seven or eight cows left in the drafting area just put into the head lock and barrier and AI them and out like it's it's super job like the colours it's a, it's a great it's a great just, uh, just a point on that Liam actually and, it, and maybe for we for you Dara Dara are you heat detection AI and bulls are you looking at going all AI what, what's in your mind. Uh, we bought a heat detection system this year. Buzz, we've been AI and last year we AI'd 220 animals. We've a lot of outside ground away from home and for now to stock that ground with either sheep, beef cattle or dairy replacements. And uh, I suppose I just saw there's a bit of a market for the dairy stock at the minute. So we've been carrying extra heifers and I used to have to have the heifers heat detected and drafted and cows milked and drafted for about half eight in the morning. And it was just very, very busy because I didn't have someone here with me most of the time. So this year we fixed time AI'd uh, 110 heifers and we bought a heat detection system for the cows and I already had a drafting gate. Do that absolutely transformed reading. It's just a stress it took out of the equation and it definitely improved our figures a bit too. So it was dear, but Jesus, money well spent from my point of view anyway. I'd say you'd probably concur with that, Liam, would you? No, it's a super job. And, and the, the, some cows could be bullying and you wouldn't even know they could be done. And it's, it's linked with rumination as well. And look at it, no, it's... It's a great job, it really is. You know? Yeah, and I'm not we, we, again. We're, so, sorry, Dara, go ahead. Jeff, go I was ahead. just going to say, we used to be using too many straws per cow, mm. so there was an issue with heat detection. And I guess I hadn't a terrible amount of experience with it because we never really had sucklers here in my time that we were AI in anyway. And I think we went from 2.1 straws per cow back to 1.7, and that's 1.7 going all AI as well. So it saved us money on that front anyway. And uh, our conception rates have come up. And you know, on ACBF, it gives you a report on your repeat intervals. You should have it's 0 to 18, 18 to 24, and then 24 plus. We used to have too many short and long in ones fitting into them categories. And this year, I'd say it's up on 80% normal intervals. And that's that's fairly good now um, as things go. So it's, geez, it's really improved things for us on that front. Yeah, it's, it's massively high. I mean, if we look at it, and if I'm looking at fertility analysis, we do a certain amount of fertility analysis where we take down data from ICDF and, and probably tease that out even a bit more. What we find a lot of herds, we've got what we call very good heat detection efficiency. People see a lot of animals, but the accuracy is poor. So we get a lot of those short, irregular heats and we get a lot of things blamed like embryo death, all this kind of stuff. But actually what we find is accuracy of AI delivery is an enormous issue on the farms. And also what we find is the um, bulls are a nightmare. There's not enough of them. They're too expensive. They go lame. They create problems. And by the time you see a problem with them, you're a couple of weeks to, uh, you know, down the track. The tendency is to move away from them, you know. We'd heifers this year too. So we bought maiden heifers off farmer sourcing us. We put them in calf ourselves. AI, we actually bought the colours a year before we the robot and we worked them on that. So our heifers this year are actually ones we bred ourselves. We didn't, it was a big advantage rather than buying heifers in calf to Angus or calf to Freezing or whatever in calf too. Mm. But this we had our maiden 52 out of 70 we bought in calf. Home calf heifer we to, to semen we wanted, but anyway, we synchronized 18 of them this year. 10 of them were sex semen, and we'd eight them out of 10 held in the first straw with sex semen, and then we'd six out of the eight normal held with, with good conception rate this year. And then we eyed uh, for a while the four that didn't stand, one stood straight away, but then two kept the iron and uh, kept repeating. 
So the advice was to keep them in maybe aim in, in November and calve them next August, September, when the robots meeting all year round and bring them back into the spring herd following year. No, that's the trick. Yeah, and I suppose the one thing we'd say, we'd probably say about that, and we were looking at a system and the system you're in, and there's often the tendency that we need a, you know, to keep milking in a milking system. I like the expression in Park. we hear the concept of system drift. So if you're in a system, you're in a system. And if that system is grass-based and you can drive it that way, that might be the way mm. for you. If you need some modern calvers, then that's that's your system that fits in. Well, that we know our system, we know our cow to fit into that system. I think that's important. Maybe I'd ask you a question, you know, like maybe the others thinking of that, if the heifer didn't, two heifers didn't go on calf for so many straws, and then I'm a waste my time. Like, why would you want to be breeding someone from that that's going to be problems or is... Or in fairness, name in my that? world, that's your, your answer in your own question. You will always have a percentage of stock that don't do the right thing. They'll take five sours and take six sours and so on. You always have them. And the goal, fertility drives your production in terms of days of milk, yeah. grass-based system. So at the end of the day, as and this is where you're at, your herd now is starting to mature and the cows are starting to appear that you won't want as well as the ones you do want. Now you're at the point where we need to start selecting and selecting out. So in my world, those animals are gone. And you're moving back into stock that's actually non-passengers in your system and not using the robot just to hang on to an animal that you it might be good i don't think it's a good enough reason in my world yeah yeah i don't know how you'd feel about that dara you're going to roll over stock i have done it and that was mainly because we had so much of this outside ground but we did it last year we ran over maybe six or eight them type of heifers that didn't go in calf and i think four out of the six were empty again the following year so we uh, we got on well this year. We bred 110 and we've three mm. empty and they're on done deal at the minute. So I haven't had a call or now, but I'm hoping to ship them off. There you go. Keep it simple. We'll finish up on one thing if, if and I'll give both of you a chance just to maybe one or two or three things you'd say, guys, if you're getting into dairy and don't do, or if you're, you definitely need to do, we can keep it positive. Have you something in your head, Darren, say, okay, these are a few things that I wouldn't do again or maybe things I'd like to do better. I'd more focus on what to do. So um, I would have changed accountancy practices at the time. I felt the service I was getting wasn't good enough for the place I wanted to be. And I talked to a couple of banks as well at the time. And we had a good plan in place going to the banks with a very solid business plan. And I had very good livestock bought and on the ground when we approached the bank. So I could go to the bank and say, look, I'm already committing myself to this project. I have this level of stock here bank were able to read their EBI and suppose they came out onto the farm and they saw that it was a fairly good dry farm and probably talked to them a bit myself and realized that I was capable of doing what I said I was going to do so joined the discussion group very early on at the time as well and I probably put a bit of a support network around myself that uh, like when you don't know the answer to something you could just pick up the phone and ask someone and I think not being afraid to ask people them stupid questions you might feel a bit embarrassed sometimes but you'll get over that rather than making a mistake I wasn't afraid to ask anyone when I knew I, I didn't have the answer so a lot of it comes back to your attitude really if you're willing to learn if you go in thinking you know everything already you're in for rude awakening because there's, there's a lot to learn in it. None of it is rocket science, but still there's a lot of new things to pick up on. Yeah, so good support network. Get people around you. Get talking to people who are involved in the business as is. Make sure the professionals that are working with you are professional and they know what they're doing. I think that's that's a very good message. It's interesting about the bank, even chatting with the with the ag lenders inside, you know, the banks. They, they do like to see that, that co-op performance for ICBF data, EDIs, yeah, they, they understand that and get it. 
and been willing to learn. I think those are really important things, Dara. They're yeah, very good points. Liam, what do you think yourself? Things not to do. Don't we listen to the fellas in a dairy for 30 years and they're giving out about and whinging about no money in it. No, this, don't listen to them, lads. Don't <laughs> listen you, to whingers. Yeah, only listen to the lads say that's uh, progressive and lads are maybe not in it that long and, and, and as new entrance is often. Really, most farmers will tell you fairly straight, like, you know what I mean? But I, I'm lucky too. I had a few neighbours that were beef farmers as well and got into milk, say, in 15 and 16. So I had a three or four year ahead of me and I listened to them as well and... and by travelling to other farms and stuff and asking the stupid questions as, as Dara says and same as that but the first thing we nearly done was um, with Patrick going out from Chagish to come up with a plan as well and base our system off 28 cent a litre which was a poor price looking back now but that's base your, your cost off say a poor price and what's going and leave yourself a small bit of room for manoeuvre and uh, don't cut corners for like just people put in say parlors and robots and not put in drafting gates not put in different things but your couple of meal checks is nearly sorted out do you know what I mean it's it's about making a system as, as trouble free and less work as possible and we have an automatic scraper as well collector to collect up to the slurry from the cubicles and dumps it into the tank and stuff like things like that makes life a lot easier. So and be always open for technology and and be willing to embrace technology and, and stuff like that. Some people are afraid of technology and you hear all these horror stories, especially with robots and different things. Like don't listen to the just for people like telling bad stories about different systems. Don't really like telling the good stories. But um, no, just to when you make up your mind, do it. Go and do it. And when I was a bee farmer, I was looking for land. We land rent for twenty years and it's up for auction and we were proof for buying it for getting the loan but god it was a big job getting the loan approval but uh the whole dairy loan was a lot simpler altogether mm. so key points for you is keep away from wingers right <laughs> yeah but, but but you know it's very important like like that positivity both of you have is it's very important because you know if you talk to people who are negative all the time or whatever yeah, and they find a reason not to do mm. something Find yeah. all the reasons not to move forward. And you will be faced with lots of challenges, the environment, all those kind of things. Mm. But if we yeah. find the reasons to, to work with them and deal with it and, and solutions for it, we'll get there, you know. Mm. So I really like that. Don't be listening and talking to injures. And yeah. in, invest in the sense of make the work easy. Make it easy to do rather than hard to do. And don't, don't skim for going mental later. Like, mm. wouldn't make things as easy as you can. And like the more heads thinking and talking together, myself and dad here would be plenty of John and, and thinking out problems and someone might win this time or there's not like it's, it's the more heads banging together, the better. Like definitely and pick up the form and discussion groups, all them things is all a big help and talking to the farmers. As a fellow, an IFA man told me one time, a couple of years ago, all, well, still some people are gone mad into numbers. Some people have gone up into thousands. And it, it's about the bottom line at the end of the day. Do you know I mean? The people mightn't tell you the bottom line, but like that's what's about at the end of the day. Like it's all, some lads, if you're talking to fellas, you're not talking to a dairy man, maybe two minutes and he's let you know how many cows he's milking. But like it might be about the amount of cows he's milking. It could be, it's the bottom line is, is, is what's important. And I think some lads around here anyway with Conacre and, and the way things has gone with numbers and stuff has just gone a bit crazy. Like So it's important to sort of keep a small bit of a, things into perspective and think about other sort of people as well that they make a living. Because if you let one, even the Glombies and stuff, letting maybe one farmer or factory farmer call it what you like, let to a thousand cows or 1,500 cows. Like you're, you're ruling out, say, family farms, say, for 100 or 120, 30, say, call it a family farm. 
set up. You're ruling out them by letting other fellas get them, the huge numbers. Now, I'd probably be shocked saying that there's some meetings, but that's no, just no, me. No, own that's fine. And I think, look, I, I think there's lots of different views to have on this. If And that depends on, again, what people's systems do. If we look abroad and we see these huge, huge, large scale farms and how they're run and how they're managed and so on, maybe that'll never happen in Ireland. Maybe it's something that we'll, we'll never know in the future. But I think you guys are part of the future, so you can dictate a little bit of that pace. The two of you are great advocates for getting into dairy, but also just getting into the farming life as well. I think that's important. And it's really nice, the tone of respect to who've gone before you in terms of your families and your dads and so on who, who've done that work. And, and that's nice to hear that tone. And yeah, we all have had interesting relationships with our families at different times, but it, it's great to see that positivity coming through in terms of the way that this is something that can be moved on and passed on easily. It, it doesn't have to create an awful lot of problems. So yeah. I admire your positivity, the two of you. And I want to wish the two of you the best of luck. So thanks, Dara. Uh, thanks, thanks very much. Thanks yeah. very much. Thank you for listening to the Farming Fix podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review, rate us, and don't forget to subscribe. Thanks very much. <laughs>